Hello, true crime fanatics and suspense seekers. I'm your host, Jahan. And I'm Naz. And welcome to Crime Stories of Pakistan. Naz, oh my God, this marks our first official episode together. How are you feeling? Yeah, that's right. This is our first official episode together. I'm feeling great. Well, besides the fact that I have a little bit of a cold going on right now. It's that darn cold and flu season. So please bear with me as I sound a little stuffy. But, you sound um, good though. <laughs> thank you. Uh, but other than that, it's been uh, great so far. And I'm super excited for today's episode. I have no idea what case you're about to present, Jihan. Um, but I hope our listeners enjoyed my very first solo case. Um, and there's also a mini-sode that we have uploaded, our very first mini-sode. Um, and so what this is, is going to be basically tinier episodes between episodes. <laughs> I hope everyone enjoyed that one. I know they truly are mini, but that's because there's either not enough case information available um, or it's an ongoing investigation. But we will follow up on cases as they progress and then share updates with our listeners. Yeah, absolutely. And the reason why they are mini is because they're mini swords. That was yeah. the idea behind it. <laughs> exactly. So we do, we do want to keep our listeners to be able to have a little more diversity. So that's why we introduced the mini swords. But I'm so happy that Naz's introductory episode and her first mini sword has already hit above 50 downloads. So yeah. Yay, that's amazing. So to our listeners, get ready for an episode that will send shivers down your spine as we unravel the mystery of the White Corolla Gang. Welcome to episode 11 of Crime Stories of Pakistan with your hosts, Naz and Jan. In the bustling city of Karachi between 2008 to 2009, a simple car model, the white Corolla, became a symbol of fear among the residents of DHA and Clifton in Karachi. DHA, or Defense Housing Authority and Clifton, are upscale residential and commercial areas in Karachi, Pakistan. DHA is known for its planned and secure housing communities, while Clifton is a posh neighborhood with residences, shopping districts, and recreational spaces. Both areas are considered prestigious and are homes to affluent individuals, making them sought after places to live in the city. So in 2008, the white Corolla situation had everyone on edge. 
including my family. Although I was away in university, whenever I returned home, and I even mentioned, like Naz legit, when I mentioned, I'm going out, my parents, they would just like instantly get on high alert. They'd be like, watch out for the white Corolla, stay sharp, and please keep in touch at all times. It's crazy how some of these cases affect us at a more personal level. Like you're saying, this was basically in your city, right? Yeah, where I lived. That's interesting and scary at the same time because it's too close to home. Exactly. And this is one reason why I even wanted to do this case because I heard about the cases. But now when I've dived into the the case itself, I was just like, oh my God, I was so fearless. (laughs) Like I really had no idea. Sometimes we just don't think that it can be that bad until we dive into the details and then we think, oh my god, I could have been a victim. And that itself is the scariest thing. I understand that your parents were on edge um, every time you wanted to go out because I know thinking back to my own parents and how they used to react every time there was a neighborhood alert or anything criminal in the news regarding my area, they would be really scared. So the fact that this was practically in your neighborhood is another level of scary. Yeah, yeah, it was. And I think uh, it's important over here to mention that Karachi, especially the DHA area, it's divided into different phases. So I used to reside in phase five and a lot of the cases from this case were in phase two, in phase one, in phase four, which is like a 10 minute, 15 minute drive from where I live. Wow. So yeah, but basically uh, their concerns were valid because the fear that this white Corolla gang instilled during that period was, it was intense. It is indeed surreal discussing this case now, especially considering the gravity of the details. Looking back, knowing what I know now about the white Corolla gang, I might not have ventured out of the house at all back then. Let's delve into the chilling details of the white Corolla gang and the terror they unleashed upon Karachi. Gul Mohammed, the father of the culprit, one of the culprits, was a well-educated individual who served as a government officer within the Provisional Education Department. Following his retirement, he ventured into the rent-a-car business, providing vehicle rental services to the public for short durations, sometimes with or without a driver. Among Gul Muhammad's three children was Ali Muhammad. He's the main culprit of this case. But unlike his father, Ali's academic journey was limited having completed only up to the metric level of education, which is grade 10. After his education, Ali took charge of managing his father's rent-a-car business. This entailed dealing with clients and overseeing vehicle rentals. So do you think it's just coincidence that he had access to these vehicles, which later led to the development of his plan? Or do you think this was the plan all along? Mm -hmm. I think the fact that he was managing his father's rent-a-car business, it gave him that leverage because he had access, right? 
all the Corollas that his father's business entailed. But let's see as the case unfolds. Maybe you at the end of this case can tell me, do you think the fact that he was actually running the rent-a-car business a reason that he started all of this? Let's see. Yep. I will give you my opinion once I've heard more details. Yeah, you do that. With access to his father's official government cars and additional fleet, thanks to the rent-a-car service, Ali obviously had various vehicles at his disposal. But apart from that, when I try to look for other information about Ali, especially details about his mother, there was nothing that really came up. Even the articles and, and through the research that I read, it mentioned three brothers, but later on in the case, there is a slight mention of a sister too, indirectly. So I don't know. I think the media over here focuses more on the crime itself than the details of, you know, that surround it. Yeah, that's a problem I enc- encountered when I was researching my cases too, especially the ones taking place in Pakistan. Uh, I think you're right. The reporting of these cases is mainly done on the person committing the crime, but not the family or extended family and friends or other people attached to the perpetrators. I wish there was more background information available, but we have to work with what we have, I guess. Yeah. And I also like need to mention over here that everything is in on police records, right? So everything is probably written and that's not available online. So it's not like cases abroad where, you know, you'll find probably a lot more details because it's probably computerized. But Pakistan works with the old paper and pen. So that makes our job a little harder. Yeah. Yeah. But what I did kind of find out was that he was married to a doctor, Dr. Faryal Ali. They also had a daughter when he committed the crimes that he did. Do you know how old he was when he committed the first crime? It doesn't say, but I think he was in his late 20s, early 30s. But again, I'm speculating. Mm -hmm. Again, you know, because the details are so slim, I do not know. Yep. Okay, so now we need to introduce another member of the White Corolla gang, which is Omer. Again, I do not know much about Omer because there was very little information. But I happened to find out how Omer and Ali met, which I think is pertinent to this case. In the past, Ali Muhammad had impersonated a military officer. And this is a very big offense in Pakistan. And this illicit act stemmed from his involvement in an extramarital affair with a married woman. He falsely assumed the role of an army officer to win her affections. But his charade eventually led to him being arrested and he managed to secure his release on bail because his his father was very influential had the right connections this ali muhammad guy has a background of criminal activity right mm-hmm. yeah so in terms of the cars 
I think he took the opportunity and went with it. Yeah, I think what happened was I I don't I did not research I did not find anywhere if he had done any petty crimes before this, but this particular arrest which he got bail for, which is you know it's it's very very serious in Pakistan to impersonate a military officer. But the very fact that he got bail for that and his father helped him out, I think he probably got this air of whatever i do no one can do anything to me mhm like i'm invincible yeah yeah unfortunately after his bail ali left for saudi arabia but within a year he returned back to pakistan and when he returned to pakistan he took the decision to take himself onto a darker path so he started engaging in a string of robberies and petty crime once he returned from saudi arabia It was during this phase that he crossed paths with Omar Khan who is a mechanic by profession. Oh, so he had a car connection as well. Mhm. So their meeting seemed destined because of the combination of Ali's rental car business giving him access to vehicles and obviously you need you know when you need mechanical ex- assistance. and there is where he met Omar and that is when the beginning of their journey into the dark world of crime began now i'm going to tell you exactly what the crimes were they were the very horrifying they're relentless they operated under a carefully planned routine so sometimes they would use cars from ali's father's rental car business but sometimes they would also rent a car from other rental car services hmm i wonder why they did that i don't know It's strange because the thing is that a part of their memo was they would switch number plates to avoid detection well that makes sense they wanted to avoid any potential investigation with their own fleet i guess yeah i guess they just didn't want to come under the radar using his father's rental cars but in some of the crimes he did obviously use the cars that he did have lying around but it was Omer's job to take that stash and every time they rented a car or they used the car that was already there the first thing he did was change the number plate because Ali had a stash of like 10 to 12 number plates just ready Wow, that itself is a creepy thought. Yeah. So maybe, you know, the question that you asked like before about was this an opportunity? Was it planned? I don't know. Why do why why would you have 10 to 12 number plates just lying around stashed? I mean, even if you have a rental car business. I think him feeling like he already got away with the other crime of impersonating an army officer. gave him more confidence to devise this plan. And on top of it all, he made friends with Umair, who also had that connection to the car world. So I think it's all coming together. Yeah. Let's see what comes out. Umair's job was to the minute they had the car to switch the number plate. Sometime after the first couple of crimes that they committed, to conceal their identities it was ali's idea 
in order for them to kind of disguise themselves, they would wear wigs and then they would wear caps over the wigs so that witnesses around would kind of see them as two women. Omer would wear the shorter wig and Ali would wear the long red one. So that was interesting. I guess their MO was to dress up like women and gain the trust of other women passengers. I think it was more for the witness aspect of it because if you have a cap on and you're wearing a wig under the cap and you're in the car and you know you slide your cap all the way down you you're basically covering half of your face, right? That's so true. if other other people around happened to witness what they were doing, it was like no no no, they were followed by two women. We think it was you know, we think it was two women. One had long red hair, one had short hair. Yeah, so there's definitely a lot of planning involved in this. Yeah, he, he really planned it. Mm-hmm. So now coming to what they did to their victims, all of the crimes that I, nar- I will now narrate, they've been taken from the Express Tribune newspaper. Ali and Omer targeted a couple in defense while they were parked outside a food joint in their Bellino. Holding the couple at gunpoint, they ruthlessly robbed them of cash and jewelry. The man was assaulted and threats were made before they sped away. Just three days later, Ali and Omer continued their spree by renting a Corolla. In this particular instance, their victim was a young girl accompanied by her mother. And although specific details of the crime were not disclosed, they held the girl at gunpoint, robbed her of cash and jewelry before fleeing. So Jehan, what they're doing is robbing random people while driving a Corolla? For some reason, I assumed that what they're going to be doing is renting their vehicles to customers and then committing some sort of exploitation. But it seems like whether it was a rental car or their own car, it really has nothing to do with the actual crimes. No. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. The, the car itself has zero consequence. It was just used as a tool to drive around. Because I think I failed to mention this. They drove around the streets of DHA after 9 till a little after midnight and it was just about driving around going to those areas which were not as lit and populated and if they saw an opportunity they grabbed it interesting i thought this case was going in a different direction not that this is any better but i had something else in mind Yeah, the the way it was presented initially felt like something related to the car itself. Mm -hmm. But either way, like... So basically, the car and the wigs and the license plate change thing was only so that they don't leave any evidence. Right, exactly. But it wasn't actually a part of the crime? I mean, technically, yeah, part of the crime because they used those cars. If there were witnesses, if someone happened to remember the number plate, it mm-hmm. was it was switched 
so it wouldn't trace them right like it wouldn't trace back to them mm-hmm. and i think the reason why they used other rental car services is i don't know maybe just i, I actually don't know i don't know i guess it was just to hide their tracks as best as they could yeah 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 so so the so the incident uh the incidents were just a mere opportunity basically it wasn't planned the way it was meticulously planned not to be traced the victims were not planned it was just sheer bad luck for those victims unfortunately mm-hmm. it was during this particular incident with this young girl and her mother that Ali and Umair they decided that they need to conceal their identities more effectively and that is when they started they adopted the whole method of wearing wigs and caps to disguise themselves then on that same night so they've already robbed a couple and they've robbed the girl who was accompanied with her mother mhm So on that same night Ali and Omer they cruised around phase 2 uh, which is a part of DHA and they spotted two girls in a car When they saw the girls alone they approached them they tapped on their window and they pointed their guns at them But thankfully the girls were in a slightly more populated and lit area so they quickly just snatched their purses and made escape so these girls got lucky yeah yeah i mean he they, they still robbed them but it it becomes much more sinister then a few days later the duo headed to the densely populated street in phase 8 near marina club at that time phase 8 was very different from how it is now it's much more populated right now but back then like Growing up during that time it was known as the place where you could get robbed, you could get raped, you could get killed. No one would know. And it was usually used as a spot for couples to go there and, you know, fool around and make out and stuff because even police cars wouldn't go towards that side. So they spotted a couple who was in the car and again the memo is drive up next to their car hold them at gunpoint rob them of money jewelry and cell phones then on the same day they targeted another couple at seaview and seaview is a 20 minute drive from marina club so now they are escalating to more than one set of victims in the same day yeah yeah from the start it was like that like initially it started just with one victim 3 days later it was three different sets of victims then they would take two three days breaks and then it was one after the other like three victims four victims it was just about while they're cruising if they found an opportunity they would grab it and was it always a white corolla usually always a white corolla which is how it you know this gang got its name white corolla gang okay but they would use other cars but more often it was the white corolla at this point are the police informed like is there no 
investigation already happening? I'm sure there is, but I get to that like later. Okay. Yeah. So on the same day, they targeted another couple at Seaview. Again, I mentioned it was 20 minutes away from Marina Club, and the road of Marina Club it connects to Seaview, which is a public beach. They held the couple at gunpoint. They snatched their mobiles, their laptop, and the girl's uh, gold chain. Two days later, in the Diraksha area, this is again phase five. Ali signaled a car to stop while driving, but the driver did not comply. So Ali resorted to shooting at the car. The driver stopped, and whoever was occupying the car at that time, they robbed them. Oh wow! So basically, they had their weapons on them at all times, and I would say that for all the victims that were held at gunpoint. Um, all of them were held at gunpoint, which would compel them to have to comply with what Ali and Omer were asking them to do, just out of fear. Yeah, yeah. And again, I'll get into like their statements and all of that, which which they clearly tell you what they did and what they used, and they say it with no remorse. Well, Ali says it with no remorse, but we'll get to that. But yeah, they had Ali and Omer both had. 9 mm pistols with them at all times and that was just their memo like the minute they saw a victim stop them get out of the car point the gun at them and rob them okay the next horrifying incident unfolded as ali and umair targeted a couple who had just finished eating at a fast food chain in defense they confronted them at gunpoint and the victims were forcibly taken to Ali's car which was parked in a somewhat isolated area once inside the vehicle so Ali made the girl sit in the back seat with him Omer sat in the driving seat and had the boy who accompanied that girl sit next to him in the passenger seat so this one was a little different than what they're usually up to mm. yeah mhm this is when uh trigger warning so Omer has a gun pointing at the boy Ali has a gun pointing at the girl and Omer would would drive around while Ali subjected the girl to sexual abuse oh wow they escalated mhm yeah really quickly so uh, once Ali was done he um, they stopped the car they kicked them out and they just fled the scene So being held at gunpoint it's terrifying within itself. But then adding something as awful as rape is just it's beyond words. And I can't even imagine like what the girl must be feeling. But also just think about the boy who was with her. He's there. He probably can't see it but he can hear what is happening. And he can't do anything. He is powerless. He cannot stop what is happening so these two alina mer are now getting more violent in their crimes and now they're starting to take it in another direction by sexually assaulting these girls but as horrible as this is to have to witness a wife or a girlfriend or even just a friend be subjected to this kind of torture i'm sure which is absolutely scarring 
I'm thinking from the perspective of an investigation that this is where the boys are going to start leaving some evidence, some kind of DNA or something that can help the investigators identify who they are and hopefully put a stop to this. So usually the with this particular crime, he escorted the couple into his car. Okay, so then the evidence would be in their car and not in the couple's car. I get it. Yeah. But what about any evidence left from Ali on the girl? Yeah, but that's the thing with victims who go through rape. They don't re- really report it in Pakistan. Because they're ashamed of victim blaming. They're ashamed what their family will react as and again we get into that later but not a lot of the victims who he sexually abused or uh, even reported their the, the rape that happened to them oh my goodness i think you're right in that part of the world well not just that part of the world i'm sure other countries have a similar issue um and it also depends on a cultural element but there is a feeling of shame or a fear of what society is going to say or think plus there's that whole element of honor and honor killings that are still happening till this day yeah but unfortunately that doesn't really come up but again we'll get into that and just like you said honor is such a big thing here in pakistan victim blaming victim blaming is universal but again when i look at like this particular couple now imagine like maybe she was meeting someone who was not her you know her parents didn't know yeah and maybe she lied to her parents saying i'm just going out with a couple of friends the first thing they would ask is what the hell are you doing with the guy yeah if you talk about it it's a dishonor to the whole family i get that but i'm just trying to put a silver lining i guess to the fact that now they are going to become sloppy and leave evidence which will help the investigation hopefully mhm so yeah so it, it it escalated from here and again just note over here how umair is driving the car it's ali who is sexually abusing the girl mhm a few days after that uh, a young woman was driving alone in her car at khabani ittihad which is phase 6 again it's at that time not as populated as it is right now so the two men they noticed her and they started following her they then eventually swerved their car in front of hers and got her to stop they went up to her window held up the gun made her open the doors and they entered into the girl's car so umair basically was in the driving seat ali pulled her out and took her to the back seat he uh, sexually abused her so i feel like ali is the more aggressive one out of the two and umair just sort of goes with it yeah you also have to remember umair is a mechanic ali okay. is backed by his father mhm so the spoiled brat mhm yeah and ali doesn't see that his actions will catch up to him but i think omer as like you know the common man his whole from what he 
from what it seemed from his interview, it was just like I didn't do, I didn't rape anyone. I stopped him, but I didn't rape anyone. That's what Omer says. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, which we will get into. Mm-hmm. So once Ali sexually abused this girl, this woman, he then stole her cash and jewelry before they got back into their car and sped away. So there's always an element of robbery in every situation. Yeah, yeah. But now I feel that Ali's prime motive now is just to rape his victims. Yeah. Two days after this, they targeted another woman at Sea View, which is a public beach, and they forced the driver of uh, the cultus of which the girl was in to stop and they grabbed the girl put her in their car Umair drove around Ali sexually abused her and once done they just dumped her on the streets and drove off wow how many victims are there so far as of right now just of abuse or like robbery included for the abuse I think there's three or four but uh, in the beginning they were only robbing people and this is all in the span of a couple of months yeah yeah right now we've gone over like at least 10 cases that were reported that are known so who knows how many more just went unreported that's what the police eventually also say that a lot of uh, the crimes are not reported it's still very overwhelming to even think about Mm -hmm. 10 is a big number within itself yeah and i totally understand that people living in that area were were very on edge like how we talked about at the beginning of the episode it's all making sense now and it's so scary how they don't pre-select their victims it's all spur of the moment random and that makes it even more psychopathic yeah, because they're not targeting someone in specific. It's not like they're sitting there first noticing that that particular person, seeing what their routine is like, and then finding a chance. It's just, unfortunately, if you are driving alone and you happen to see this white Corolla and it happens to catch your eye, that's yeah. it. Yeah. You're on their radar. That's horrifying. And again... You know, when I heard about the White Corolla case, I knew that he was robbing and raping. I didn't know it was just two people. I really thought it was like a gang of like four or five people. I didn't know the details the way I know about it now. It's just, it's a lot. It's a lot of process and knowing that, you know, it happened in my hometown, it's like crazy. Cannot seem to just like fathom that thought. Yeah, when you started the case and said gang, I also thought you were going to introduce more members throughout the case. But it looks like it's just the two of them. It's just the two of them. It's the duo. <laughs> Bonnie and Clyde. Yeah. <laughs> Pakistani Bonnie and Clyde. <laughs> you know, um, just a little humor, a little lightness, because yeah, that just got intense real quick. Mm-hmm. Three days after this, 
incident with the girl in the cultus they returned back to see you and they observed a couple sitting inside a car and again we know what is bound to happen here so they forced the man into their corolla at gunpoint ali took the girl into the back seat and he sexually abused her dumped them on the road and left so i was going to ask in any of the incidences was anyone shot at and hurt by the gun because they didn't comply i think most of them complied because of the fear mm-hmm. of being held by gunpoint at that particular point i don't think you're thinking about i think very few people are thinking about retaliating so yeah. most of them unfortunately complied but later on where i end this episode i do talk about those who escaped who oh. were lucky enough to escape so we will get into that and i'm just uh at the end of their crimes of what is known and unfortunately in this one person was shot oh but i'm going to get to that in another incident which happened he so they they were at seaview they saw this couple ali sexually abused the woman and then they drive to phase 2 and ali and omar see a girl sitting alone in the car and she was probably i don't know waiting for her friend or her driver or her family member i don't know the details are unclear but they held her at gunpoint they made her sit in their car and as omar drove around ali sexually abused her before robbing her of her cash and jewelry and phone dumping her on the roads and driving off these poor girls yeah imagine just in a flash it's just in a flash everything changes for you mhm i'm actually kind of curious to know who is carrying that much cash or jewelry on them these days i'm not sure about pakistan but here in canada Most people barely carry any cash. They use cards and maybe wear the odd chain or ring, but nothing more than that. If I was a girl in Karachi, I would be on high alert because I'm sure at this point these incidences have made their way into the news. People should uh you know just carry no jewelry on them and limit their cash to a very minimum as well. So the thing is uh I'll tell you like honestly as a Karachiite I know always keep money on you. Oh. Not a, a whole lot but have a good like 5-10,000 on you because it is very likely in the situation where you're held up at gunpoint if you do not have anything to give that is a greater risk. Oh wow, okay. that's a different perspective. Yeah. It's I I don't it was not jewelry as in, you know, heavy jewelry. A gold mm. pair of earrings, a bracelet, a gold chain, a ring. 
small jewelry items like that which you wear every day yeah and i think with the whole aspect of even though it was in the media it was in the newspapers everyone was talking about the white crawler gang be careful the white crawler gang you never think it's going to happen to you right like you're just like no it's not going to happen to me yeah that's But true never say never say never yeah that's true never say never this was so this started in march 2008 and from what we know these incidents have occurred and now it's september 2008 okay during this time in september during this month aliano omer as usual they approached a person with the intention of robbing and raping them but when they got close to that person they realized that this person was a hijra oh a term a term used to refer to khwaja sira or the equivalent of a transgender individual in urdu we call it khwaja sira mm-hmm. and hi- hijras are officially recognized as a third gender in in pakistan so they're not male nor are they female fida hussain was their victim so when ali realized this is a hijra he took out the gun and cocked it on her and she freaked out obviously and she started running but it was in that moment that ali he callously open fired right there and then fida fell and lost her life oh wow so so this is the first gunshot victim yeah and i don't think that ali went into robbing or raping his victims with the thought that he will kill them i think the gun was just like an assurity just like you said that the minute like a victim sees a gun it's like your instant reaction is to comply but i think he was just so confused when he witnessed fida and then her reaction you know where the rest of the victims were complying here she screamed yelled ran that kind of caught him off guard and that like provoked him to like shoot but i don't know i don't know how his mind works i'm just saying i i don't think it was in his intention to kill anyone it was just the situation with fida i'm thinking is this going to be a turning point um for alina mare or are they going to get more aggressive now also did fida die no no fida died on the spot oh yeah and for another four months the crimes went on but fida was the only victim that was murdered but like i said earlier now they have evidence of the bullet that they can match to a gun yeah and that does come up when we get to the investigation part it's deeply disturbing to realize that the victims of ali and umair were not specifically targeted but rather ordinary residents of karachi who happened to catch their attention as they drove through the streets of dha and clifton the motive behind these heinous crimes i feel was driven solely by self pleasure thrill and enjoyment and it's 
indeed baffling. It reflects a disturbing lack of empathy and morality from Ali. So these crimes, unfortunately, did not come to a halt after Ali took Fida's life. They went on for another four months. But Vaseem Ahmed, the capital city police officer, took the decisive action of deploying surveillance teams and upgrading patrolling vehicles to track down the infamous white Corolla gang. And initially, there were no results. But a pivotal moment occurred with a distress call to the police helpline, which is 1-5, on a late Wednesday night in December 2008. A police party from Gizri swiftly responded and momentarily trapped the suspects in DHA phase four. I think probably someone witnessed or saw Ali and Omer and called the police and reported them. But it still took from March, when I think you said all this began, to September, when Fida's life was taken, for the police to start patrolling the DHA areas of Karachi. And then Ali and Omer get caught in December. Yep. Yep. I can't even imagine the level of fear that must have been instilled in people's minds for months. And I'm certain that there are a lot more victims and incidences that never got reported. In between, yeah. Yeah. But we do have a number to that, which I will come to. The police party from from Gizri, which is again in defense. They trapped Ali and Umair in phase four. But when the police car signaled them to stop, both the driver and the passenger, so Ali and Umair, responded with gunfire shots. This initiated a chase between the cars where bullets were exchanged from both sides. Eventually, the police successfully burst the tires of the Corolla, which made it come to a stop. But undeterred Ali, he attempted to hijack another car on the road. Thankfully, his efforts were in vain. The relentless pursuit by the police led to the eventual apprehension of Ali and Omer, putting an end to their nine-month-long reign of terror. The arrest marked the conclusion of a horrifying chapter that had plagued Karachi with fear and trauma. And here is where part one ends of this episode, White Menace, The Dreaded Corolla. Ah, man, are you serious? You're leaving us hanging here? I want to know what happened next. I know, but I think we covered so much in this part that the next part I wanted to be solely interviews for you to see a bit of Ali and what he shows us. So for that, Come back for part two. We, your hosts, Naz and Jehan, are signing off. Don't forget to follow us on our social media at Crime Stories of Pakistan on Instagram. And you can also send us an email, Crime Stories of Pakistan at hotmail.com. And please share your case suggestions and please hit the like button if you enjoy us. Yes. And as always, stay compassionate and curious, but make sure you stay out of trouble. All right, guys. Thank you for joining us.
Bye-bye. Bye.